0: I bid you welcome. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. Once the door is locked, there's no way out. I'm
1: scared. This place gives me the creeps.
0: Are you trying to tell me that this house is haunted? I'll show you who I am
2: and what I am.
0: Cobwebs.
1: You gotta be kidding Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Cobwebs Podcast. This is the podcast where we are dusting off classic cinema to see what it has to offer today. Uh, My name is Daniel Epler, I am your host, and all through the month of October we are talking about horror movies, which is so exciting. We used to talk about horror movies all the time, but now that it's... Now that it's a little more, you know, not not all the time anymore, it's, like, more special. So I'm so excited about October. I hope you are, too. And today we are talking about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the 1931 film starring Frederick March. And joining me for this discussion is the host of the Schlockanaw podcast, and she's either bringing her good side or her evil side to this podcast. I don't know which. I guess we'll find out. It's Lindsay Wilkins. How's it going, Lindsay?
2: I am good, and... It is pronounced Jekyll. I, how do they say it in the movie? Um, it's really weird. I got up slightly obsessed. They go, is it Dr. Jekyll? Home? It was just like, <laughs> what are you saying? And by the way, so much. Thank you so much for having me on. This is going to be great.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you for being here. And, you know, I hate to act superior to a masterpiece, but I really think they're saying it wrong. Like, I'm positive I, it's Jekyll, and they do keep saying Jekyll, and I think they're Jekyll, getting it Jekyll, that's
2: wrong. it. Yeah, I was just trying to remember what have he's saying it's just this weird way of going Jekyll and it's kind of this phony british accent when they're doing it and yeah no it, it's got to be Jekyll. I mean I know this is a masterpiece but you're saying it wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I've seen a lot of other Jekyll and Hyde movies and no one ever says Jekyll except in this one. But then in the <laughs> in the Spencer Tracy one they keep calling him Harry and I'm like I don't want his name to be Harry. That's Oh dumb. my god
2: the 1941 1941- <laughs> oh yeah that 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 that's a whole different conversation um the you're most right.
1: american uh, british scientist in that movie <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: he's oh i fully expected him just to start like singing the american national anthem in that one um <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's it's kind of weird that, i mean this is a thing that's been adapted and adapted and adapted and gone through so many permutations um but yeah and everyone sort of has their own thing but to hear like jekyll and then harry i'm just like uh dude come on his name is dr jekyll just can we just say that <laughs> that's
1: like how i i cannot understand why in the james whale frankenstein that he is henry frankenstein and his friend is named victor <laughs> yes. what's the point of this i
2: don't know. I don't know what the optioning was like back in 1931, but it's just this weird thing of they just make random, random changes. Um, because is, is Renfield called, um, is, uh, no, what's his name? Dwight Fry called Renfield in the Dracula or is he called something else really weird?
1: No, he's Renfield in Dracula. Renfield.
2: Yeah. It's just sometimes in those movies, you'll just see these like weird changes and you're just like, yeah. who are you? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I almost kind of wonder if like a couple days into filming, somebody came to James Whale and they were like, hey, I just like double checked the book and it's actually the doctor that's named Victor. And he's like, I don't care. Nobody read this book. We're not redoing anything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's pretty much what happened. Um, No one read, actually read this book except the people who just maybe wrote a script, but no one else actually read any of these books.
1: (laughs) Well, they're usually, well, this is the same thing with Jekyll and Hyde, actually, like they're all based on the plays. They're not really based on the books
2: exactly that yes I was going to bring that up um but yeah all these movies Dracula the Frankenstein and um the Jekyll and Hyde are all based on the stage plays that were based on the book um which is fascinating and because I reread the book the book because it's only like 70 pages um of Jekyll and Hyde and the they added so much I mean there was no love interest it wasn't even from um Jekyll's point of view he you don't really it's from his f- lawyer friend um who keeps wondering why every time he goes to his house he's not there <laughs> um and all these strange murders are happening around around London um and yeah so it's kind of strange how they took this tiny little novella or large short story and just kind of expanded it into this kind of almost Dark romance. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of extraordinary how you see those changes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and I definitely want to talk to you about the book. Um, But before we get too much into it, actually, uh, it is October. It's a very special month for podcasts. And I just kind of want you to like, let the listeners know, like, what is going on with Schlock and Awe during October?
2: Uh, A lot of things. Um, I went overboard um, and I'm glad I'm not the only one Um, because I think everyone else (laughs) is as well, which is so many, so many podcasts on um, um, Shock and Awe, which I think when this episode's dropped, the series will start, I'm doing an Evil Dead series. Um, every week we'll, we will be pairing each one of the four movies, um, one, two, three, and the remake with a different movie, just to kind of see where it fits in with everything, just because Evil Dead is awesome and evil, each Evil Dead movie is so completely different. Um, so that's what's happening. And also a whole bunch of other bonus stuff. We've got some really great doubles lined up. I think uh, once this drops, uh, they all already would have been a Ravenous and uh, Ganger and Hess double, uh, which will be a feast of a double. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a lot of cool things coming out.
1: Phenomenal. That is so exciting to hear. So, everybody, definitely uh, pull your phone out when you're listening to this on. Uh, go to your podcast app and Look up Schlock and Awe, give it a subscribe because there's going to be so much cool stuff going on. So definitely do that. Um, so let's let's get real specific with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This came out in 1931. It's directed by mm-hmm. Ruben Mammillion. I believe that's how you say his name. And uh, uh, I will
2: trust you with that. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, you know, what's funny is I actually typed his name into YouTube and I'm like trying to find a video where someone says his name and I could not find one. So I'm like, well, nobody can really fact check me on this. So I'll just say it and- like that.
2: <laughs> I, I, I agree with you because I was looking at this, going, I don't know if I would even want to attempt it. But yeah, no, that, that's a good, that's a good uh, interpre- that's a good um, way of saying it. I think, I think it's Thank correct.
0: Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I certainly appreciate that. I thought your conduct quite disgusting, people. Conduct. Why, a pretty girl, kiss me? Should I have called the constable? Even suppose I'd liked it. What? Yes. That's not a matter of conduct, but of elementary instinct. You ought to control those instincts. Are you pretending that you either can or do? We may control our actions, but not our impulses. Perhaps you've forgotten you're engaged to Muriel. Forgotten it? Can a man dying of thirst forget water? And you know what would happen to that thirst if it were denied water? If I understand you correctly, you sound almost indecent. What names you give things. Or why aren't you frank enough to admit that other, that indecent self in you? No, you prefer to hide it, pretend it isn't there. We have to accept certain things. I isn't? don't want to accept them. I want to be clean, not only in my conduct, but in my innermost thoughts and desires. There's only one way to do it. How? Separate the two natures in it. Oh, that absurd theory of yours. I tell you, it's unscientific not to admit the possibility of anything. Oh, you're mad. Mad, eh, Lanyon? Oh, we'll see. We'll see.
1: Okay, so what is this movie about? I think most people probably know this is not a uh, reimagined version. It's not like the Hammer versions where they're putting a twist on it. This is definitely the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde about a handsome, young, and respected doctor named Dr. Jekyll who is engaged and really wants to get married, uh, but is experimenting on the idea of separating the good and the evil in a human being, experiments on himself, And ends up his only evil side comes out in the form of Mr. Hyde. Uh, So I want to ask you, Lindsay, um, when did you first see this movie and was it your first exposure to the story or was your first exposure through something else?
2: Uh, My first exposure to the story, I think, was definitely the novel. I read it back in high school when you uh, tend to be reading um, or me attempting to read Frankenstein and Dracula and then re, uh, realizing that those original novels are very dense and not what a 14 year old expects from a novel. So then I tried to read the small one um, and that was my first exposure uh, the, to it. Um, I'm trying to think about my first, diff- I saw this movie about five years ago, so um, it was very late. So I can't actually remember my first filmic version, I think it might have been in like a BBC miniseries-esque type, kind of thing of it since they tend to do um that could be their whole research thing of BBC (laughs) miniseries based on Victorian novels um but yeah it's kind of one of those stories that's always been around um like in different permutations like you've got the Nuddy Professor um both versions the Jerry Lewis and the um Eddie Murphy versions um so it's kind of one of those stories that's always been around but I think the actual first Jacqueline Hyde in terms of it's this kind of version it was definitely the book and then i came to watch the other versions later uh, other versions of this later in life
1: just because you already mentioned it i may as well go on a tangent i love <laughs> that jerry lewis nutty professor are you a fan of that movie
2: <laughs> yeah i am <laughs> it's so fun <laughs> i remember catching it on tv and went like wait this is exactly like the Eddie murphy version wait is this came before <laughs> it's the first time i've seen any jerry lewis um and it's Oh, I love that
1: movie. Yeah, I'm not a Jerry Lewis expert by any means. There's so many I have to see, but um, that's a really fun movie. I just rewatched it recently because uh, uh, our friend Anthony King's podcast, Cult Movies, just covered it. And oh my gosh, that was such a good episode.
2: Oh, it really was. I cannot remember who was – no, she was Australian. I should remember that. I think it was Emma Westwood, I want to say. I think I could be really wrong. Sorry, Anthony, if I'm mixing up episodes, but yeah, I think I went and uh, I, oh, I'm blanking on the name. I went and watched the one when he's an extra and on no a Hollywood set. Oh my God, some of the set pieces in that are just amazing. And it's often just when Jerry Lewis is just making a face that you just kind of <laughs> just start um, like a, there's this amazing part when he's an, meant to be an extra. And then you just see him turning and look at the camera constantly every time he's in a scene. And it's just like, yes, <laughs> this is great. <laughs>
1: Gotta love, buddy, love.
2: Uh, Ah, yes.
1: So my first exposure to the story was actually through this movie, because uh, when I was a kid, I was really into the Universal Monsters movies. And while this is not one of the Universal Monsters movies, it's a Paramount film. Um, it, sometimes it kind of gets lumped in with those, and I watched it because I loved the Universal Monsters. I don't remember how I got access to it because it's not always been like very easily available. So maybe it was on TV or something. I don't know.
2: But I what was- I. I was going to ask you that because I'm, like, I'm like, oh, I thought this movie was actually hard to track down for years because of the the remake.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I don't remember how I saw it, but somehow I did. And what I remember about it is I loved the Mr. Hyde makeup just as like a monster makeup. But the movie did not click with me at all like the other Universal Monsters films. And when I revisited it later as an adult, I realized exactly why it didn't click with me because, oh, this movie is all about sex. It is a very adult horror movie. And like, I don't think I understood any of it when I was a kid uh, because you know, the Frankenstein and Dracula are amazing masterpieces, but they're very accessible to children, I think. And they are very accessible to me. And I would not say the same thing about this movie. And then I did, I have read the book a few times. Uh, I've read it for at least two classes that I've had. Like, I think I read it in high school and in college. Um, and I think I've even read it once, like on my own. It's always been a book I enjoyed. But I don't think the book is perfect, and I actually think this movie is better, is a better version of the story. And reason being, it really stands out to me as a problem in the book that that book is entirely absent of any kind of sexuality of any kind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a problem for this story because it, I mean, if you're going to tell me that like the dark side, the evil side of a man comes out and he has no thought to get laid— I don't buy it, you know? That's um,
2: weird. I, abs- I absolutely agree with you because the book is absolutely sexist. Oh uh, no, sexless, not sexist. Um, it's it's very sexless. Um, and this is just a man who will, uh, every single time he kind of, because uh, Louis Robert Stevenson never goes into any kind of descriptions of the attacks, what Hyde even looks like. Um, you've just got this kind of force coming in. And I always just imagine him just jumping on people like he's Yosemite Sam. Like he's just, jumping (laughs) on people and shooting guns in the air and going yee-haw, that um, that kind of thing. And you're right. And it's kind of all through like secondhand accounts, um, which I think is kind of interesting for the time it was written. But in terms of comparing it to this movie, yeah um because this movie is horny as all hell um which a lot of movies in 1931 are this isn't like an unusual even though i think this movie feels like it comes out of nowhere i think um a lot of movies from 1931 were about sex but with say your dracula and your frankenstein they are about being courted about getting married about that fair uh, gothic fairy tale aspect to it where um the maiden is waiting for her uh He's, she's been courted by the man that she loves. Um, and then this evil force comes in and must be defeated. Um, and this one is, no, this, high is horny and wants to get laid and has his sights on the uh, wonderful Miriam Hopkins, who is incredible in this. And it's that kind of, uh, I kept thinking of Kate, the original Kate Fair with Robert Mitchum when I was watching this. Um, and just this kind of brutality and animalisticness that, is kind of terrifying, but you're just looking at this guy going, he's going to cause so much trouble because all he wants to do is get laid. He is the, he's a party boy who wants to party.
1: Well, I think Hyde really wants to get laid because Dr. Jekyll does. It's so Uh, interesting to me that when, (laughs) so the first time Jekyll becomes Hyde is, uh, is when he's just like, he's doing this experiment, trying to separate the good side, the evil side. um, Because, he, he he feels like a, a char- him as a character, he feels like a man outside of his own time somewhat in that like hmm. everyone around him is very, very prudish and very decent. And he just you can tell he's really bothered by it. And he says to like his friend at one point, like you keep using this word indecent, like you're ashamed of your indecent self. But it's in there just like it is in everybody else. Um, He's like outside of proper British society because uh, he believes that like. There are bad sides in all of us and that's a part of us and he's trying kind of trying to prove that but the first time he he turns into Mr. I just because he's experimenting the second time is because his he's begging his fiance to, for them to get married as soon as possible and I yes. think it's because he's horny and mm. then when she goes away for a few months he takes the potion again and I'm like oh, you just want to go to Miriam Hopkins, this lady that you met a few no, a, a few weeks ago. And like, you just want to get laid and not have to feel guilty about it. So you're going to use this Mr. Hyde as kind of a scapegoat for that.
2: Uh, that is a really good point. I, I kind of had, yeah, I hadn't quite th- thought of it in that in that those terms. Um, but the movie's really leaning on that because when you first sort of meet uh, Miriam Hopkins, she is kind of hurt. He helps her back to her room. And there's this amazing sequence where you're seeing Thigh, which um, in the movie seems just so sexual and there's this amazing moment, and we'll get into it, but the POVs in this movie are just chef kiss amazing. Um, And you just see her taking off her stockings and this is Jekyll, this isn't Hyde. And yeah, he he wants to get laid. He wants to marry his fiance straight away um, because he is in a society that having sex before marriage is considered again indecent and you cannot be indecent especially if you are upper class. Um, if you're lower class and Miriam Hopkins, then the movie says there are more freedoms. Um, in the movie's world, there are more freedoms to actually have sex, enjoy yourself, go to um, musicals, all that kind of thing. And yeah, you're right. It's kind of when he's re- he keeps becoming high because he can lose all those kind of class things and just... Go out and cause absolute mayhem, but the fact is, is no. He wants to, he, he he wants to be a fuck boy, or he wants to fuck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Frederick March is definitely a fuck boy. I think we can all agree oh, totally is. <laughs> yes,
2: every <laughs> single movie I've seen him in, he's just like the most horniest creature on the planet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are you a Frederick March fan?
2: I am. I am. A, I haven't seen a. There's a few movies I still haven't seen. Um, but what I have seen, I'm just looking at this man going, "Oh my god, you are extraordinary." <laughs>
1: He's so great. And I think I noticed on, on your letterbox a little while ago. Did you just watch um, Ernst Lubitsch's Design for Living?
2: yes yes i did yes so that has Speaking. frederick march
1: and miriam hopkins <laughs> mm. uh as in sort of a three-way romantic relationship with gary cooper <laughs> and uh it is a wild pre-code movie you know that's one thing that i love so much about dr jekyll and mr hyde is mm. you know like we're talking about it's a very sexual movie it's very pre-code and nothing like this would ever fly just a few years later and design for a living is a lot the same did you enjoy that movie
2: um, I love that movie. Yeah. Um, I love the notion that they keep saying when they're together, oh, no sex, no sex whatsoever. And I'm just watching this movie going, I call bullshit. Um, <laughs> all three of you are having a good time with each other. <laughs> um, I think Gary Cooper and Frederick Marsh, Marsh are at their most attractive. Marion Hopkins is condescent. And I'm just looking at them going, no, this is this is a free for all. Just go for it. <laughs> It's great. It's so much fun. Oh, it's so much fun. And those two together are just adorable. I mean, um, Frederick Marsh and um, Gary Cooper's um, uh, quips, Eddie, and they're totally floating through that whole entire movie, but just their quips with each other is just absolutely adorable.
1: <laughs> Another uh, Miriam Hopkins movie that I love is also an Ernst Lubitsch movie um, called The Smiling Lieutenant. Have you seen this?
2: No, I haven't.
1: So it's uh it's 1931, I believe, and it's starring um, gosh, how do I pronounce his name? Maurice Xavier, Xavier, oh. something like that. Mm-hmm. He's basically like he is the 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 template for um, Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast, the candlestick. Like he's exactly oh. he's exactly the candlestick from Beauty and the Beast, but in human form.
0: Good night, dear.
2: What?
0: Aren't we married?
2: Yes.
0: Aren't you my wife? Yes. Am I not your husband? Yes. Now can't I call you dear when I say good night?
2: Well, you may call me dear, but you shouldn't say good night.
0: But it's nine thirty, and at this hour, good night is the only proper thing to say. You don't understand. What, Nicky? Yes, Anna. Oh, no. Oh, no, married people. Don't do that. They don't. Oh, no.
1: But it's him, Miriam Hopkins, and Claudette Colbert. And and uh, basically, like, it, Maurice Xavier and uh, Claudette Colbert are in a relationship, uh, clearly a very sexual relationship. And then mm. a princess, played by Miriam Hopkins, falls in love with him just by, like, seeing him. And... Mm pressures him through the use of the law and the royalty to marry him but then it also sort of becomes like a three-way relationship and you would like it does all but say that like miriam hopkins and claude colbert are in lesbian love and there's a whole scene where they're like taking each other's clothes off and singing about each other's lingerie it is so pre-code so yeah there are a lot of great pre-code miriam hopkins movies to check out is what i'm saying
2: uh, yeah, that is now on the top of the list. That looks amazing. Um, I've only seen a handful of a couple of Lubitsch, so um, no, this is this goes to the top of the list.
1: And and, and I wanted to you know bring up Lubitsch because this movie kind of reminds me of Lubitsch in the non-horror scenes. Like I think this movie, when it's not when there is no horror, when it's just like the human drama and stuff, is so much better than other horror movies of the time. Like I love Frankenstein. I love Dracula. I wouldn't say a lot of the human drama is great in those movies, but I think it is great in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Cause I think the best movies of the early thirties are like the romantic comedies. I think that that's just the best cinema was in those days to me. Um, And this movie kind of feels like one of those romantic comedies, but then the horror starts and it gets really dark and fucked up, which is, so it's kind of like the best of all worlds to me. That's one reason I love it so much.
2: That is a really, really good point point. Because, um, and I completely agree with that because um, I was looking at other movies that uh, Ruben Mamelin, I'm butchering that, made thinking, oh, he must have made other horror movies from the 30s and he didn't. He was a romantic uh, comedy guy or melodrama guy. It, that kind of surprised me. It was like, oh, this was his one-off horror movie um, and it was just this cut. But when you watch it and then I watched it and then I sort of um, was watching it and then realized yeah, all the drama works. All the drama, um, and this is probably why uh, March won an Oscar for this, is because, you know, when it goes horror, it goes super horror, but then you get these amazing moments of lightness and um, drama in it as well. So it kind of gives you everything that you want from a movie, which, again, kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere because as much as I love Dracula, I watch it twice a year, um, it's not a perfect movie. I mean, that... and. The, the kind of the roughness and the kind of weirdness and the stiltiness of the things I love about it. But when you compare it to something <laughs> that this movie is doing, it's even Frankenstein, which again is a, a great, one of the reasons why it's a great movie. But again, you see what Paramount is doing with this movie and you're just like going, holy crap, I didn't think um, if people had thought about doing certain things uh, in this movie or even mixing the genres like they're doing it, it didn't even cross my mind that that was a thing people were doing in 1931 or at least within the Hollywood system within in 1931. And you kind of, yeah. And you're just kind of going, Oh shit, this is, <laughs> this is everything.
1: You want to hear a hot take?
2: What's a hot take?
1: I think this is the best horror film of the 1930s.
2: I can't argue that at the moment.
1: <laughs> I know you probably go Mad Love though, right?
2: Yeah. I'd go Mad Love, which was actually also Paramount um i yeah i would go mad love for the best horror movie in the 1930s um because, but that is kind of like a proto uh tim burton kind of thing it's a very specific war on style this one has got genre mashing it's got effects it's kind of one of those you reason why you go to the movies kind of ones but it's definitely up there i mean it's kind of incredible
1: I don't know if this affects you since you're in Australia or not, but um, Warner Archive just announced they're putting out Mad Love on Blu-ray. I don't know if you saw that.
2: Uh, what? No. What? Shit! You're kidding me. Oh. Yeah. Shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can get Warner Archive though in your neck of the woods. I
2: can I? Can I? Can. Okay. um Yeah. No. I can. I can definitely send for them. Um, there. There are ways of getting them. Ah, uh, not the whole selection, but. Um, oh shit! I'm losing my mind. Um, no, this is amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're putting out um, this month.
2: Oh my God. This is incredible. Cause this isn't uh, mad. This, Cause this uh, Jekyll and Hyde doesn't have a Blu-ray either. Um, no, Warner... but what's
1: weird is it has a Warner archive DVD and I don't know why they haven't put it on Blu-ray yet.
2: Yeah. Cause I was actually thinking this morning, because those are the two, two movies. I think this and Mad Love totally deserve Blu-rays. And I was thinking, this is the kind of thing that Warner archive does. Why haven't they done it? And then you've just said they're doing Mad Love. I'm like going, Yes, because I know New Bed is playing it for their October line. And um, yeah, Mad Love coming back. If Mad Love gets the appreciation it deserves, I'm just going to be the happiest. um, Because again, that is a movie that felt like it came out of nowhere and is extraordinary and amazing. And yeah, it's getting a Blu-ray. That's amazing.
1: (laughs) I know. I'm so excited. And I like I think Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde deserves like a stacked criterion release that would be my first choice but Mm -hmm. it does seem like warner archive is the most likely and i don't don't know what's holding it up there's got to be a rights related thing because i'm sure this would be a big seller for them
2: it it would be because it is kind of one of those um movies that has been growing in esteem for the last maybe 10 10 years that people are going oh yeah if you like the universals you should really check out the jekyll and hyde because it's it really, it's kind of always, I think Patrick Bromley always called it the best universal movie that they never made. No, um, oh,
1: yeah, I'd agree with that.
2: Yeah, and because it's kind of definitely competing with those movies. I mean, um, so it, that's kind of makes sense in the fact that it hasn't had this kind of gorgeous Criterion release or, yeah, Warner seems the seems the most likely, but it's kind of one of those movies that really should, because if more people, people would buy it if it was on Blu-ray and people would discover... Oh my god this is like i know you've called it the most pre-code movies ever pre-code and there is a really strong argument for that <laughs> it's because up there. it's up there it goes for the sexuality is dark but it also kind of promotes um positive uh, positive sexuality as well in this kind of really nice way um but then of course because it's hide he just ruins everything um and turns it awful I mean the depiction of an abusive relationship is amazing and you wouldn't see that again for decades because of the Hays Code um or as bluntly as it is I should say as it is in Jekyll and Hyde so there's kind of what it says about relationships and sex and kind of even class is extraordinary um so no it, I really would love this to get a blu-ray and uh, you made my day with Mad Love. That's going to be amazing because that thing's going to have like one of the archives does features as well and that kind of thing. So, yay, people are going to see Mad Love and they're going to go, yes, this is an amazing movie. And I'm just going to be sitting here going, yeah, because it's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, they don't always do features, but their releases of Dr. X and Mystery of the Wax Museum have a lot of great stuff. And those are a couple other, you know, of their pre-code releases. So I yes. I have high hopes for the Mad Love release.
2: Uh yeah um this this should be great and people get to finally um see Mad Love because there's only a DVD which I is very hard well not hard to track down but it is around and it's okay but this um yeah, this Blu-ray is going to be um, hopefully a game shape changer for this movie. It's, it's, it's extraordinary, guys. Wait, wait till you see it. It's going to be great. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's going to be a big October movie for people. So so let's talk about, you already mentioned it a bit, but let's talk a little bit more about the camera work in this movie. Uh, <laughs> it is so experimental and weird. Uh, and like, mm. if you think it doesn't all work, I understand because they're really going for it. But I just love how experimental it is. Because like the movie starts with a very long POV shot. Um, as far as I know, the first POV shot ever, I mean, it's probably not the case, but I cannot think of an earlier one. Um, it has, I, I mean, just so much inventive stuff going on, big overhead shots, crazy close close-ups that a lot mm. of movies don't have Uh, split screen like De Palma. It's, it's yes. just crazy. And I adore it.
2: It's a- amazing. Cause you're right. You do see this very long POV shot. And I actually tried to look to see if, I sort of typed i shouldn't have i should have done this a bit of search but i sort of typed in what's the first pov sh- uh, shot movie and i got like blair witch i'm like no that is wrong What? <laughs> <I> wanted- <laughs> google stop it <laughs> um, there were movies before the 90s come on um you didn't even give me silence of the lambs jesus christ um, <laughs> um but yeah so i was just trying to see if there was say silent movies um or european movies um that had done this POV, and I couldn't come up with one. So, if if you do know of an earlier POV um, shot in in a movie before before this movie, please let us know because I'd love to to know. But it, yeah, it is so experimental. It feels so modern. Um, I t- already talked about the Miriam Hopkins scene, um, but you're, it's again goes back to that Jekyll wants to fuck because he's you're from his point of view watching Miriam Hopkins take off her stocking and. It is so erotic um, because you are sitting in this, you were literally sitting in a horny man's shoes watching this woman who's being playful and sexy and amazing and confident. And it's kind of this amazing kind of thing that this, like I always like to think that this was kind of the movie that some senses watched. and went, Oh, we can't have this. We can't have a woman actually enjoying sex, God forbid. Um, and even, <laughs> And um, it's it, though it, the Hayes Code would be a few years later, but it, yeah, it's extraordinary how blunt it is about sex and those camera shots and the split screens, and even um, going into when he's turning into Hyde and you have him um, those montages of because um, he has flashes and, and and hallucinations before he turns into Hyde of all the things he wants, and he finally turns into Hyde and he thinks he can go get them. Um, and it's kind of yeah this this whole movie this is quite actually long it feels long for a horror movie for 1931. Oh like An hour 10 this is an hour 45 but it's doing so much that if you try to cut things out to try and make it the hour 10 um you would lose so much of the weirdness the strange shots the split screens the the drama the the romance it's kind of yeah, I keep saying it's got everything, but it does. It literally has everything. It's kind of even if you don't like horror, even though you'll get confronted with it. There's enough things you'd go, "Oh, but I like the whole thing of him wanting to marry or Miriam Hopkins storyline. It's 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 amazing." <laughs>
1: So amazing, and that and all that camera work, I, I definitely credit that to the director Ruben Mumilian, because because um, leading up to this, I watched another one of his movies, the movie he made right after this, which is called Love Me Tonight, and mm-hmm. that movie was on my radar because I'm I'm reading this book on romantic comedies from this era, and they called it the best. Uh, basically the best Ernst Lubitsch movie, uh, that Ernst Lubitsch never made. And yeah. I watched it and it very much is. It's also starring Maurice Chevalier, the the guy from the smiling Lieutenant and, uh, it just like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, a lot of very inventive camera work. Um, mm. there's a, there's an, it's a musical. So there's an opening musical number. That's so amazing. Uh, because for a long time, the music is just made by all the townspeople in this village, just like doing morning chores and like hitting their laundry or something and it's all making this beat and then when marie chavier shows up to like do his song he's walking down the street just like greeting all these people as he goes and the camera's just following him all along the way uh which is very non-stagey for 1930s this is 1932 and he it also uses the same kind of stuff jekyll and hyde uses which is fading between two different shots and letting them both exist at the same time to show you two things at the same time you know yeah so he's just an experimental guy for sure
2: yeah i was just looking him up now he was gotta start in theater which is kind of extraordinary because Well, not extraordinary, but he's kind of the guy who would make theater and then go to do film and then realize, oh no, I can do all these things on film. I can't do in the theater. I don't have to make this staging, Um, which was a lot of go-to for Hollywood uh, movies at this time, because they could just point, shoot, have a set, don't have to worry about anything, just have to make sure everyone hits their mark. And this guy's just like going, no, I want to try things and see if I can uh, edit things together. Um, And it's... Yeah, the editing in this movie is amazing. Um, Just the way they're able to put all these sequences together and all that kind of thing and not even getting into the special effects in this thing. Um, It's, yeah. And also Myrna Loy is in um, Love Me Tonight, which is another reason why I need to see this. Oh, Um, she steals
1: every scene she's (laughs) in. She's so great.
2: (laughs) When doesn't she? Um, Yeah, so again, movie I need to see. Um, But yeah, you're just sort of watching it and you... Because I always sort of, when I go, oh, yeah, The Jekyll and I, that's got to be like five, six years after the the 31, right? And then you watch it and you see the date and you're like, oh, no, he was making this probably around the same time that um Dracula and uh, Frankenstein were being made. And I know those movies were kind of rushed, especially kind of uh, Dracula because Universal just needed to get something out that would make money. Paramount kind of had the time to kind of... Uh, give him more money, let him maybe do what he wanted, try a different couple of things and and definitely paid off for them. Even, um, I don't know how much money it's made back. It's always hard to tell box office back at this time, but this thing won Oscars. Well, at least one, definitely won Oscar for um, Frederick Marsh. And yeah, it's just, it's an extraordinary movie of of kind of a thing that I think in a few years you just do not, well, actually no, because you do see a lot of experimental filmmaking in the 1940s. But it's just this kind of movie that it feels like it comes out of nowhere Um, because it just feels completely different to everything else that's being made.
1: Yeah, it feels like illegal. Like you watch it and you're like, how the (laughs) hell did this happen? Um, And it was the attempt was made to bury this movie uh, because MGM bought the rights to it in 1941 so they could Mm. make a remake. And when they remade it, they bought up every film copy of this movie they could and burned them and this movie was considered lost until I believe the 1960s when it was it was uh restored uh, at least to some degree um and I just like when I when I think of the possibility of this movie possibly getting lost like I get so upset like talk about like you you work for a film studio MGM and you care that little about film preservation that's just horrifying to me
2: it's amazing how little consideration people had for film preservation um back even up to like 20 years ago um and it makes me upset as well because this was MGM's main um thing that they did if they were buying up the rights if they were remaking I think they did the same with Showboat and there was a they were making it they would bury this movie uh Miramax would do often do the same same thing if they were buying especially a foreign movie Um, They would do everything in their power to make sure it did not get into the States um, or any kind of English language thing until they made their remake or they would just cut it to hell and then that kind of thing. Um, So it's kind of, yeah, it was MGM's main thing because they were a monster powerhouse at this time. And you can feel it when you're watching the remake. Um, But yeah, the fact that this was found and restored, it's kind of like Nosferatu. That makes me upset that we never had, that we could never have had Nosferatu or this movie um, because for whatever reason, they decided that no, this movie is not going to see the light of day. And how do we not live in a world with this movie? This movie, again, right, feels illegal. It feels like it shouldn't have been made. It often feels like documentary at times. It's, especially with the POV. um, And it's just it's a movie that kind of blows me away every single time I see it because I kind of forget certain points and then I'm rewatching it. I'm like going, oh yeah, this movie does this. I forgot. And then I kind of love it even more.
1: (laughs) I love that you just said the word documentary because one reason I love pre-code films so much is I love the view that they give me into at least somewhat of a realistic portrait of how life was like back in like the early 1930s and how people actually were. I know it's not perfect because there's still some censorship done. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, like movies of the 1940s and somewhat of the 1950s, as much as I love them, they give a lot of them give you like a fake View of how people were actually like in those days, because it's the cleaned up family friendly version. And I love watching the pre-code movies. It's like, oh, people back then were not as different from us as we think they were, you know?
2: Oh that is a really good point. Um, It's kind of like when you watch some uh, French New Wave movies and because they were always shooting it on location around the streets of Paris you get this kind of amazing kind of look at what was going on in Paris at this different time like the late 50s um, early 60s and it kind of feels it's not completely real but it does feel real at least in the background Um, and this is the same thing you do get a sense of like oh human, humans have not changed. If we're doing, if this is the stories that they're telling in the 1930s, um, then we have not changed as a society at all. Like we like to think we have. Um, And it's kind of an incredible window to look at it. Yeah, you're right. It's an incredible window, which is why I love them as well because you do get this window into the 1930s, um, which was just as turbulent as um, the time we live in, or maybe even more so because World War II was happening and all that kind of thing. But Um, Just as turbulent, just as scandalous, just as kind of rocky. Everyone was trying to have these different point of views and screaming each other down. You just didn't have the internet. Um, But you do get the, yeah, you're watching it going, yeah, humans never never change, which which is the exact same people we were.
1: Yep. Yep. So, I'm, I'm proud of us, because I feel like we've held off on talking about the massive elephant in the room all this time, but I, I think the time has come. Let's talk about Mr. Hyde. So, here's the first <laughs> yes. thing I'm going to say about him, and this dawned mm-hmm. on me this on this last viewing, uh, probably because this other movie was a little bit in my head because mm-hmm. of a recent Schlock and Awe episode you did. Uh, you just did an episode on The Dark Knight. Yes. and. One thing I've always said about The Dark Knight is I think Heath Ledger is great in the movie. I love the performance, but it makes me a little bit sad that he's not playing the Joker of, like, the comics and the animated series and previous live-action versions. Like, <clears throat> he very much created his own character, and that character has unfortunately, I feel, like, replaced the Joker. I don't—like, I, we haven't really seen, like, Mark Hamill Joker since, which makes me a little bit sad. But when I watched this movie, I realized, oh, I think what Heath Ledger did— Is he turned the Joker into Mr. Hyde? Because I feel like the performances are very similar in the way that both of them make this person somewhat animalistic. And a lot of like the mouth twitches and tongue twitches are very similar between Heath Ledger's Joker and Frederick March's Mr. Hyde. And that comparison just really, really jumped out to me. I don't know. Am I crazy with that?
2: Uh, no you're not I didn't click to that but now I'm looking at seeing them side by side in my head um yeah you're right because there are it's all about the mouth twitches it's all about the the tongue um it's all about just pure chaos cuz Hyde is meant to be just unfiltered um human instinct um for I mean Joker has a very specific purpose of wanting to watch the world burn thank you Nolan for writing the the line um of what the movie is about but it's yeah they are very very similar they have very similar movements um very different very similar ways of seeing the world um yeah because Jekyll is not oh sorry Hyde is not concerned with um with where he sits in his class which I think the Dark Knight is very much about um as well and yeah you're yeah, that you're absolutely right on that
1: also, like, one thing that gives the Joker power in the beginning of the movie is he robs a bank and then he has a lot of money and he has a lot of resources. And, and Mr. Hyde has all of Jekyll's money and resources. So despite the fact that he is enormously off-putting, I mean, mm. he's looks gross, he acts like you want nothing to do with this man if he comes near you uh he can get into pretty much anywhere he wants and he can do pretty much anything he wants because he has money and he can afford it which says something that makes him scary
2: absolutely it's kind of and we still see it today of the obscenely wealthy just doing whatever they want and you don't necessarily have the resources and the power to say, tell him no. Uh, I love the scene when he goes, I think it's to the musical for the first time, and he's sitting at his table, he's having drinks, he's having a great time. And just the way the waiter looks at him, he does not want anything to do with him, but he knows that he can't because he is meant to wait on him and he's meant to give this man anything he wants. And it's and it kind of because you're probably this guy's probably looking at Frederick Marsh act that way. and with that makeup, he's probably just like going, Ugh, okay, just I yeah, it's probably acting as well, but it's also I'm actually physically repulsed and fit and scary of this man right now because he's taking up all the space. <laughs>
1: so what do you think about the makeup?
2: I love the makeup. Um, I think he looks um, completely. he doesn't look like Frederick Marsh um the way you make I I don't know there must have been a pain in the ass to wear because um but it does not look like him um the way he does the voice does not sound like him uh to a certain extent um and just the way he moves um I think it's all part of the piece with March's performance but it's a complete transformation and that's what I want from my Hide. I don't want him to look anything like Jekyll I want him to be an extension of Jekyll but I don't want him to look anything like him and that's what the makeup does
1: I cannot believe it is the same actor like every time I watch (laughs) it no matter how many other Frederick March movies I watch and like become more accustomed with how Frederick March looks what his mannerisms are blah 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 I cannot believe this is the same guy it is just astounding to me. Like if he told me like well, two different people play those two different characters, I'd be like, that totally makes sense. But that is not the case. I mean, he's got makeup on. I, I think other than maybe the teeth, it doesn't look super obviously like makeup. I think it looks mm. really good and natural. Uh, you know, I mean, he looks gross and off-putting, but he looks like a legit ugly person. Yes. Um, and the voice and the way he, act, I think it's just that like, we're not really used to seeing classic film stars not being themselves, you know? Like back in these days, like you go to a Cary Grant movie because you want to see Cary Grant. You're not ever gonna see Cary Grant disappear into a role and try to be something totally different. So it's crazy to watch an actor do that in these days. And Frederick March is unbelievable in the role. Like I love his performance. I love the look. I it's it's amazing. He's so good.
2: No, he is because as I said before, he is not he doesn't just rely on the makeup, he rely, he also moves differently. He also um he motivates he moderates his voice um to sound different. Um really he uses different. A, really different. He uses a different cadence. Like it's not like it's a different speech pattern altogether. It's kind of yeah, it's an extraordinary performance because it is a different completely different person. So the first time you see Hyde, you're like, is that March, or did they use some other guy? And then you know it's all it's all him. Um and it's yeah, it's it's extraordinary performance. And um I love the fact that this um role won an Oscar um for him because even though I know it was a double it was a tie something weird happened. Um yeah that would
1: uh, never happen now. It's so weird. No the
2: the, the Oscars in the 1930s was the Wild West. Anything went. And it was just this kind of because you're watching him and you're like, no, that is the kind of role that deserves an Oscar because he is doing, I mean yes, it maybe started the trend of you have to change yourself completely to win the Academy Award, which I think is the thing that they just look at it and go, oh, like she's wearing a fake nose or he gained a lot of weight. Give them the Oscar and it's um, a little bit more than that but I love the fact that he just doesn't rely on the makeup he uses it but he doesn't there's so many other things going on in his performance that you don't you are thinking is that a different person it's yeah and it kind of makes it even more terrifying it's um yeah it's such a good it's so good
1: so good and let, let's let's talk about the transformation sequences so so Jackal uh, Jekyll turning into Hyde it's this movie is really a landmark uh, for the transformation sequences. Mm-hmm. They are you, – what you would expect in this time period is you would expect there to just be fades in between different, like, stages of the transformation. And then he's high. That's what they do with uh, Lon Chaney and the Wolfman. That's yes. all well and good. That's fine. But um, – They don't do that in this movie. They do this amazing technique where they give him this certain colored makeup uh, and then they switch out the colored lenses on the camera. So with certain lenses, the makeup doesn't show up on black and white film at all. And Mm. then when you're switching the lenses out, uh, the colors that are put on his face fade more in. So you're actually and you can't obviously you can't tell the color tint changing because it's black and white. So you're watching this makeup fade onto his face in real time. And it's, it never ceases to amaze me. You know, every time I see it, it looks so cool.
2: It really does. Cause you're sort of watching it and you're expecting the um, cuts that like in the Wolfman, which I love that transformation um, in, in the Wolfman, but you're expecting those little cuts, like looking at his hands or just to kind of give the overall sense that he's, that he's changing. Um, but you don't get it in this. It's just the different lenses. And this sort of speaks to the time that, these guys who were making it um were given time to figure this out they were kind of I, I don't know if this was used back in the silent era or if this was kind of them experimenting with a technique but they were given time to sort of go okay so what makeup is going to work best what um lenses how we do the order of the lenses it's kind of the prep time in doing this effect would have had taken time and money and the fact that they were allowed to get away with this and Obviously, if they were questioned, they gave an answer that, but yeah, fine, spend the money. Let's do this. Let's do this right. And you still don't see all that kind of stuff in movies today because movies are a business. They need to make money. They need to be, no one knows. Going over budget is not a thing that producers want you to do or execs want you to do. Um, but that he was allowed to do this um, and experiment again um, is kind of ex- extraordinary and something why we should treasure this movie even more.
1: It is extraordinary. I old movie effects are so exciting to me because nowadays yes. like <laughs> we have a lot of great effects. We really do. And I love it. But uh, the fact that we can pretty much do anything is just less exciting. And the fact that like back in these days, they were very limited and they were having to experiment and figure stuff out and invent things. And every time they do, like, I just love it. It's just, you know, human beings coming together to accomplish something impossible. You know, that's why like the effects today that amaze us, I think are stunts. So it's like watching Tom Cruise hang on the side of a plane, because we know Mm. this is just human beings coming together to achieve something impossible and doing it in front of a camera. Um, And that's kind of what we have left in terms of like pulling off crazy effects. Uh, And back in these days, Tom Cruise hanging on the side of the of the plane is Frederick March turning into Mr. Hyde right in front of our very eyes, you know, and it's still awesome. I love it.
2: It really is. It it really is. Because I think when you go to the movies, you want to go, wow. And even if it's just a small performance even if, if it's an action scene like in some of the mission impossible where you do see tom cruise doing the best not to kill himself in a very killable situation you're sitting there and going wow and um it's it's yeah and watching high uh, jekyll change into hyde is still extraordinary because you're just sort of wondering right this is done on cam- camera i'm not seeing cuts this is yeah it's all about the lens it's all about the kind of kind of makeup and it kind of goes back to the fundamentals of making a movie, which um, are using the tools that they have. It's not, but experimenting with those tools in the right order. And yeah, I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think my favorite of the transformation sequences, because there's several in the movie, which is one thing that makes it fun and makes the runtime even better, mm-hmm. is um, the second time how they do it is they again, like show his face and they do the color changing thing, but They the camera moves and it pans down to his hand, which is which is the Mr. Hyde makeup is accelerated. And then they pan back up to his face and they've like applied the fake teeth in and then they pan to his other hand and then they pan back up and they put more of the makeup on. Yes. And like I watched it really closely. There are no cuts. And I'm amazed how fast they're able to put all of that makeup onto him just while the camera lingers on his hand for a few seconds until they pan right back up. That's amazing to me.
2: It is amazing just because imagine these sort of teams just kind of descending on March, just like throwing these teeth in, moving back really quickly. It's oh, just kind of out of the frame. Um, and yeah, it, it is extraordinary. Um, and you're just sort of just like, how did they do it? How much practice did they have to do to make sure that this was seamless?
1: <laughs> oh man, probably so much, so much oh, rehearsal.
2: So much rehearsal. It's kind of, uh, yeah, there would have had been so much rehearsal to know exactly the timing of this and to figure out if the teeth are going to be being able to go in easily, very, very quickly. Um, there's a lot of little parts in that that you have to figure out before you can even begin shooting this.
1: Yeah. So so now that he has become Mr. Hyde um, in the book like a lot of what he does is like walk down the street and like maybe run into an old lady and then beat her up with his cane and then walk off. that's kind of what Mr. (laughs) Hyde does. And, and like I said, that's kind of a problem for me with the book where I'm like, is Dr. Jekyll's deepest, darkest desires really to beat somebody up with his cane when he's walking down the street? I mean, maybe, but in this movie, uh, the, the main thing of Mr. Hyde is his relationship with Ivy, with, uh, Mm. Miriam Hopkins, um, so you've talked a little bit about that relationship, but, but I want you to let me go a little bit deeper. Uh, what are your thoughts on that relationship between Ivy and Hyde?
2: Um, I think it's one of the best depictions of an abusive relationship. I think, um, you speaking to the fact that Hyde has money, um, and I think he ho- keeps a holding over her. I think it just the way it happens slowly, like she kind of know cause she is a explicitly a sex worker in the 1931 version um and the fact that he keeps lording this over her um it's kind of like the luring because she meets Jekyll first and Jekyll is the perfect gentleman um and then she meets Hyde and all of a sudden he's because he doesn't flirt he just threatens and kind of well I'll pay you um you need I'm paying you so you need to do these things for me and it's an incredibly dark and brutal relationship that ends completely in tragedy and it's it's yeah it it, every time I watch it I keep thinking of this scene in um, uh, the original uh, Cape Fear with Robert Mitchum you see Robert Mitchum he's very very handsome and this woman is on the bed Um, this is about the the sexual assault scene in this movie just so you know and all he's just looking just very Mitchum and sexy and then all of a sudden he turns and just starts beating the crap out of her and this is kind of how I feel about the whole relationship it's It's brutal, and you just kind of want to pick Ivy up and get her away from the situation because you know there is nothing she can do to get out of it. And she even says multiple times, I can't go to the cops. They're not going to do anything, which is the reality of the situation and still the reality of the situation for many, many people who are kind of in very similar situations. You spoke to the fact that watching them. Uh, stories in the 1930s is so similar because you can look back and say humans haven't changed and you look at that relationship and you're like hasn't changed whatsoever
1: yeah yeah um you know uh the scene that I kind of thought of like from another movie is um Mm. from Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal where he's Mm. talking to Rene Russo and they're like negotiating some business thing and he says okay well next time we were alone in your room we're gonna do the things that I want to do
2: you can't it, say no. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It kind of yeah. like the Ivy and Hyde scenes feel like that scene, but expanded and worse if I had yes. to compare it to something.
2: You're right. It's uh because she knows from the get-go, as soon as she says sees, sees Hyde, this is not gonna go well. Um, but she's in a position where she can't say no. Um, and there is that moment, I think, where he really attacks her and the camera just kind of zooms in on a statue at the at the inner room, and it's so creepy and so chilling that it because the movie is not exactly explicit about it, but it is very explicit about it at the same time, just because of the camera work and the way that it shot um, Miriam's performance. It's, yeah, you get everything that is happening in this movie, even if it is not explicitly showing it.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's like as explicit as it could possibly be in 1931, because yeah. like, you know, his version of flirting is he's saying like, oh, you shouldn't live in that dump you live in. Like, uh, you know, I can get you a really nice place. And she yeah. says, well, how am I going to get that? And he says, how do you think you're going to get it? and you're like oh okay (laughs) i see how this is (laughs) it's just crazy that like a few years later you wouldn't be able to show a married couple with a single bed and then in Mm. this movie these two people are very clearly living together as in exchanging abusive sex for money and for a nice place relationship and like it's so dark it's so dark and there's a scene where he's clearly pressing her into sex. And then it ends with like him forcefully kissing her and then fading on, like falling onto the bed and the scene fades. And I'm like, Oh yes. my God, 1931. How did this go to theaters?
2: I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if certain States cut this movie to hell because they were just like, no. Um, Or if this was played to an unsuspecting audience who did not realize um, the brutality of the sex in this movie um because yeah it is very transactional and it's very brutal it I mean it is sexual assault that's kind of what is happening and she is getting money for it but yet she does not have the power to say I'm gonna say no to this um even I get from the sense from when he says oh how do you think you're gonna get it um she sees I I think in that moment she even sees a thing that oh I don't think I can say no to this um even though he's giving me money I don't think I can say no and it's such a it's a very sexual movie and a very horny movie, but it make does make you feel bad about it. It's kind of because this is Hyde and Hyde is a is a literal figurative monster. He is just a monster in every sense of the word, and they really lean on that, which I love because this is a friggin' balls to the wall movie. It's not shying away from anything.
1: Nope. Yeah, and I love how his makeup gets more monstrous every single time he transforms. Like it's as subtle yes. as it is can be in the first scene and by the end of the movie like he's really deformed and gross.
2: Oh, especially when uh Jekyll promises um Ivy that Hyde is never coming back. Yeah. Um cuz he tries to make amends. Like he sends her money, he tries to help her um but Hyde is getting stronger and stronger so when he fully takes him over and comes back and then Miriam uh Ivy thinks yep Jekyll says he's going to protect me from him this is all good I don't have to deal with him and then he walks in the door and you're just like crap um because there is no the beast is out and you cannot put the beast back in the bottle once he is out and he is fully gross in that and that when he that when yet final act of the movie he is disgusting
1: yeah man the way we're describing it i almost wonder if anybody's listening who hasn't seen the movie which is like you man you like this movie but like (laughs) yes we love this movie because it's like it's a really dark and fucked up horror movie with a really scary looking monster and great performances like what on earth is there to not love
2: yeah because he pulled uh the director pulls this trick yes i'm avoiding saying his name um the director pulls this trick where It's not the movie it is at the end. Like at the beginning, you do get the sort of sense, um, but it's lighter, it's sexy, um, it's very sex positive. It's all this amazing thing. But then as soon as Hyde shows up, he ruins everything and it just descends into this darkness and violence. And it's an amazing way to structure this movie. And it's one of those things where it needed to be longer to be able to get that um, flow going because it just gets a little bit darker, then goes back then goes a little bit darker. And by the time you're at the end, it's so fully dark that um, you're happy that what happens at the end, it's, um, you feel that moment of triumph because, but yeah, it is an extraordinary movie. And yes, it is dark and there are really dark themes, but it's not sort of... You're seeing it for what it is. You're seeing this for, oh, this is what this kind of relationship is actually like. You're seeing, oh, this is what uh, this guy who's trying to have it both ways is actually doing. Yes, he wants to separate his good from his bad, but they can't be separated. That is a human being. And if you let your dark instincts out, it's going to just be horrible. No one wants that. And I think in the book doesn't quite go there because it got the sense that uh, Louis Stevenson wants to have the macabre, wants to shock, but doesn't want to go actually into the actual details of what that means. Yeah, he's just beating a woman up with a cane. Um, yeah, I think his
1: religion got in the way. I think he was very Christian.
2: He was very Christian. And this uh, the book was, I, th- I think this is either Urban Legion or what actually happened. He wrote it like in two or three weeks. He owed money like to the wrong people like he, or he was about to go to debtor's prison. Like He needed something to pay off his debts um and so he wrote Jekyll and Hyde as a Penny Dreadful and it worked it was a huge hit um and so he then had to write these kind of more macabre stories when he would have rather written Kidnapped and uh Treasure Island because he was very he was a religious man and so he kind of feels like oh, okay I'll write this book horror is popular I'll do it and it kind of takes off and kind of becomes its own thing but this it wasn't necessarily written in a thing that, oh, I like these macabre stories or I want to be a macabre writer. It was literally just to get them out of a tight spot. And then people were like, you should write more. And it's like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll write a short story called The Body Snatcher. Again, amazing amazing movie that's better than the story. Um, and it's, yeah, so it's that kind of um, feeling. And then this, they, they make this movie that based on the play. Um, they flesh it out even more. They make it darker. I can't imagine a Victorian play having... Um, explicitly this kind of relationship in it. They might have hinted around it, but um, it would have been much more of a main, more in distress that needed to be rescued, not what this is. Um, yeah, it is it is a tough movie to watch at times, but I love that because it's not holding back.
1: And I, I, I don't feel bad for Jekyll by the end of the movie, Cause like, nope. I feel really bad for Larry Talbot at the end of the Wolfman. And that's cause like yes. the Wolfman is not carrying out Larry Talbot's darkest desires. They are mm. entirely separate beings. Um, and Larry is helpless. And, uh, and you know, that's not the case here with Jekyll and Hyde. And after he murders Ivy horribly, um, and, and when he turns back into Jekyll, like you can tell he's very aware of what he did mm-hmm. and he goes to break off his relationship with his fiance. And he sort of like cries out to the heavens that, like, I've lost the love of my life. This is my penance. And I'm like, dude, this is not your penance. Like, you sexually assaulted, violently assaulted, and murdered this woman. And now, like, you losing your fiance is not penance for what you have done. Um, so I do feel like he deserves to die by the end of this movie. And I'm like, yeah, this is what needs to happen.
2: This, it does. It is, you do get the sense of justice. Plus, he did it to himself. Larry Talbot was cursed. Yeah. Um, and you're right, it doesn't carry out his darkest instinct. He turns into a completely different creature that, um, yes, a Jekyll loses control, but I think you get the sense that he's kind of in a little bit of control. Like, he's kind of enjoying it at the beginning. It goes back to um, the Nutty Professor. Like, he's kind of enjoying being Buddy Love because Buddy Love can do all the things that he can't. Um, and this is kind of Hyde. But then, of course, Hyde is a monster and is violent and controlling and all the worst instincts and just thinks he has ownership and but that is still part of Jekyll it's yeah you don't feel sorry by for him by the end and I think um a lot of adaptions kind of want to make you feel sorry for Jekyll um and sorry for Jekyll but you want Hyde dead it's kind of tries to have both ways and this movie knows it can't it it, it, they are the same person so the same thing needs to happen. what happens to Hyde needs to happen to Jekyll because they're both as culpable
1: I agree. Yeah, we're in total agreement. So yeah. um, we both love this movie. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the remake from 1941?
2: Yes, yes, we will talk about the eyebrows.
1: All right, so <laughs> I, I think you watched this movie for the first time. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it when I was a kid, around the time I saw this first one, and mm-hmm. my only memory of it was Hyde looks lame, so I don't like this movie. <laughs> so it's interesting to watch it uh, you know, with a bit of a, a fresh mind. Uh, what did mm-hmm. you think of the remake?
2: Um, I didn't mind it, but I watched it before I rewatched the 1931. So I didn't actually realize how much of a remake of this movie it actually was.
1: Oh boy. It um, sure is.
2: Oh my God. Like I was like, okay, it's doing not great. Like Spencer Tracy's a bit half. Yeah. He's not great. Yeah. Like and it's I mean it's got Lana Turner and Ingrid Bergman in it. So it's got this amazing and Spencer Tracy. So it's got this immense of star power, but when I was kind of watching it, even from the first frame, I couldn't help thinking, oh, this movie wants an Oscar. This movie really wants an Oscar. Um, <laughs> and I kind of think it was more wanting to be a period drama more than a Jekyll and Hyde story. Um, oh yeah. W- which I think was the biggest mistake. Um, though this is MGM and this is what MGM did. They were not, they didn't make many horror movies. Um, I don't think, I can't think of it in the top of my head. Um, so it kind of says, oh, we'll just do it as a period drama. That will be for the whole family. And that is not what Jekyll and Hyde is. Um, yes, you can turn that into the uh, Nutty Professor, but even the Nutty Professor, the Jerry Lewis, kind of goes a little bit darker. It's just the humor kind of hides it. Um, and
1: Yeah, you're right. It does.
2: Yeah. And so it's kind of a weird thing to try and make family friendly, um, even though I know that was whole Eddie Murphy's thing. But no, <laughs> it's, it's not. And I think this is, yeah, this does not have, this movie has no interest in the, in any of the horror in this movie.
1: Nope. Yeah. I hate this movie. I <laughs> hated it. I was like, I found it interminable because yeah. it's, you know, like you said, it is not a new adaption of the book. It is a remake of this, of the 1931 version. It's nearly a shot for shot remake. Yes. um, But with oh, everything yes. <laughs> good cut out, like, yes! All the cool, interesting, sexy, violent stuff that we're talking about with this film is all gone from the forty-one version. So it's just the boring stuff. Yeah. Um. I I don't know how you feel about him. I I don't really like Spencer Tracy as a leading man. I've seen him as a supporting actor and liked him. Like I love mm. him in uh in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mm, he's yes. Probably my favorite Spencer Tracy. Uh. But whenever I watch him as a leading man, I think he's so boring. He just. I don't know. I don't know another way to say it, but boring. And he's boring in this movie. His hide is like so his hide. (laughs) Yeah, his hide is very little makeup. Like he has bushier eyebrows. He's got a little bit of like lines under his eyes. Mm. And that's kind of it. And we're expected to believe that like people that know both of them don't recognize him. It's more unbelievable to me than like the Superman Clark Kent thing.
2: I wrote that in my notes. It was just like going, okay, why am I fine with Clark Kent wearing glasses to hide the fact that he's superman but i'm not okay with tracy uh, spencer tracy wearing eyebrows as hide <laughs> um i got really stuck on the eyebrows sorry guys um <laughs> it's yeah it's kind of i don't know why i had a problem with that but i was looking at him going no and i was watching this before i rewatched jacqueline hyde so when i went back and watched it, i was like oh shit this is a shot for shot remake i did not know this um and yeah it's just like going dude your friends are gonna know that this is you there's no hiding this um but yet everyone's completely confused about who's this guy with the bushy i sorry I've got to stop with the eyebrows but it's kind of this um half-assed way it feels very half-assed even though it's kind of very pageantry it's kind of a weird mix like I kind of went oh yeah I can kind of see a few good things and then I watched the original and then I went no it's actual I can't I can't see anything I like even um Ingrid Bergman, who I love, um, is given nothing to do. Um, and yet she's taken the away- only
1: thing I even a little bit like about the movie.
2: Yeah, because she's Ingrid Bergman. So you're going to like her. But she's given nothing to do because they've taken away all the sexuality, all the kind of things that Marion Hopkins actually got to deal with. They kind of took it away. And so she's kind of left doing her best, which is amazing because she's Ingrid Bergman. Um, I agree about the Spencer Tracy thing. I think he's mostly boring, except if he's a supporting except for one movie. Um, and that is Bad Day of Black Rock. And I think it's because that movie knew how to use him because for most of it, he's this, this boring, unassuming guy who is kind of trapped in a movie with the likes of uh, Ryan Roberts, Lee Marvin, and Ernest Bor- Borgnine. There's a few other people as well, but I can't quite remember them. And they are all the, they're the ones you're kind of drawn to, even though they are the worst. And then all of a sudden something happens. And then Spencer Tracy is a badass. And I'm, just watch the movie and it's it's amazing um but that is because they kind of knew how to use him he's gruff, he's boring he's nondescript and then all of a sudden something happens and um it's up to the other guys around him who are all amazing to kind of make it work but yeah I've never quite gotten the whole thing I used to thought I loved him but I think it's because I loved his relationship with um uh, Catherine Hepburn yep.
1: <laughs> Yeah, she's, I mean, you kind of like, like him by association. You
2: yeah, know? yeah, and he does nothing in this movie. He looks bored a lot of the time, even as Hyde, which you don't want your Hyde to kind of feel like he's sighing, going, oh, God, do I have to do this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's a, a bizarre casting choice. Oh, like, he's my- one of the worst options I can think of for this role.
2: I mean, I know, yeah, I know this was the studio system. I know it was NGM who were like you will do this and you will not complain. Um, but there was so much talent in this movie and it just is bland and boring. I mean, this movie, I, I keep this that back, but it feels like it wants an Oscar, so it's playing safe. I mean, uh, uh, Rebecca had won the best uh, movie the year before, uh, uh, Hitchcock's Rebecca, which is very much a Gothic romance and a, a really great Gothic romance. So they were kind of playing on that. They got Victor Fleming in, who already won the Oscars with Gone with the Wind. I mean, it's uh, it's Ingrid Bergman, Lana Turner, Spencer Tracy. It's kind of star-studded. And then you're watching it and you're just like going, God, is this movie really two hours? (laughs) Let
1: me ask you a question I just thought of, and this may be too hard. So if you had to fan cast Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for 1941, not Spencer Tracy, who would you cast?
2: I would, ooh, that is a tough one. Yeah, that's um, tough. I reckon James Cagney. I
1: kind of thought about Cagney actually.
2: Yeah, I think he'd be good. I think because he's the what can be the most charming mer- person on the face of the earth, and there's probably someone I'm forgetting, um, but I think he can go tough. And I think there would have been enough of a change between charming Cagney and dark Cagney for you to actually believe that he's an actual menace.
1: That's a good call because, like, if you just watch, like, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, I mean, from scene to scene, there are scenes where he's hanging out with people he likes, and he's super nice and charming, and then he yeah. goes into gangster mode, and he's violent and angry and mean. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a good call. That's a good yeah. call.
2: Yeah, I think he would have been good. Um, but Spencer Tracy does one thing and one thing only, and that's not the kind of actor you want when you need dual a dual role.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and And because they cut out, like anything violent or anything sexual like you don't even quite understand why Hyde is a monster like he's just kind of a creep and he is off-putting and like you can see that like if i met this guy in real life i would not want to hang out with him um but i mean like there's a part where he's just trying to get ingrid bergman to sing for him and she's like screaming in horror and i'm like we really need more than this to like believe the screaming and horror thing
2: yeah because they take all this dark sexuality out of it you don't necessarily get the whole relationship between those two you know he's a creep you know he's controlling her you know he's making her do things you don't want but at the same time there isn't that kind of palpable oh I need to get her out of the situation right now like there isn't that kind of feeling even from the get-go you get from the 31 and the 41 it's like I think we would not put up with this shit what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it just doesn't work it's kind of feels slapped together because MGM saw a thing that they could do and it, yeah it doesn't it doesn't work
1: no are there uh are there any other versions of Jekyll and Hyde that you're a fan of any other movies you'd want to call out
2: um I really like I, th- I always thought it was um Hammer for the longest time but I think it's actually Amicus it's I Monster with um Christopher Lee um, oh, I haven't
1: seen this, but I've always, I, I, I did. I, you're not the first person to say that. I've heard it is kind of a Jekyll and Hyde movie.
2: Yeah, it is kind of, it's not a complete Jekyll and Hyde. Um, it is a um, kind of, but it's definitely a variation on that. And you do have Lee really digging his teeth into it because he kind of gets to play that dual role. Like he's not just the monster and he's really good at it. Um, I think he makes the, he definitely makes the movie like he does with a lot of things. But um, yeah, no, that is something um I really, really love. Um, can't think of anything else. There was a really good uh, BBC series, mini-series where they um, uh, put Jekyll and Hyde into a modern timeline. And I think he plays a, Jekyll's a cop and he's kind of hunting himself, which was quite fun. Because um, <laughs> okay. he didn't actually, he didn't actually realize it was him. <laughs> so I've, I've seen it, hadn't seen it for a while, but that's actually quite a fun one as well. Have what about you-, you? Yeah, oh, sorry, Yep. Yeah
1: one of my favorites i'm wondering if you've seen it have you seen hammers uh, dr jekyll and sister Hyde?
2: i have
1: i love um, that movie
2: i like that movie i have only first it was my first ralph bates um hammer movie so i think i was a bit ralph bates and now i'm kind of coming on board with ralph bates so i need to watch that movie again um to actually kind of get the full kind of thing of it but no that is a fascinating fascinating adaption
1: yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand there are aspects of it, you know, that are problematic by today's oh. standards. But oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. I kind of think no. for the
1: 70s, it's pretty bold. It's a bold thing to do. And it's interesting. No,
2: I th- yeah, I think it's bold. I think it's interesting um, for the 70s. I think because um, on the latest Hammer Pub when they did it, I think it was Ali made the point that uh, when, she, when she's Hyde, um she's more confident she's actually a better she's better at doing things like the feminine self is actually the stronger version of of Jekyll which i thought was a really really good point to make because i think she is she's just way more capable um and it's yeah it's um yeah it's really really um it's really yeah i i will watch it again because i think it is a fascinating fascinating version of it and i do like the fact, even though I think I got more annoyed that the fact that he's already kind of killing sex workers before he he decides, or he figures out how to change into Sister Hyde. Yeah, because it's um, a Jack
1: the Ripper movie too.
2: It's, it's a Jack the Ripper movie too. And I'm just like going, okay, some, something about the killing of the sex workers to do the good thing kind of bothered me a little bit, but I need to give it another watch.
1: Yeah, and I listened to that Hammer Pub too. Uh, like the episode, they had a good conversation, even if I like, I think I like the movie better than any of them. But I mean, I just think... I do think it's an interesting transgender story and I know it doesn't get everything right. Cause it's the seventies and I know I'm not the person to judge whether it gets anything right, but I have seen like uh certain transgender folks that I follow like on Twitter and such talk about what makes this movie kind of special to them. And I, I do think it's really interesting from that perspective. And like I said, like 1971, they get, they don't get everything right, but it's, I, I almost think it's kind of a noble attempt, which makes it really kind of, kind of cool to me
2: no there are certain movies that i love because for the time i think they're progressive for what they're trying to do um say so say a very weird uh, example uh Lawrence of arabia which yes has a lot of brown face including alec guinness and anthony quinn um but this was kind of a movie that sort of show wanted to show the um arabic nations as these kind of very powerful people and as not these kind of stereotypes, even though they did fall in. You look at it now and you're like, that's a very big stereotype, or the fact that they cast um Omar Sharif. Um, so you look at it now and it feels ugh, a little dodgy, but for 19s, 19... I can't remember when that movie was made. For the time it was made, it was actually an incredibly progressive movie. And I think Sister Hyde, uh Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde is incredibly similar for 1970. I think it's incredibly progressive because it is making a very strong female character, it is asking questions about that are kind of um uh, bridging the gap between male and female that are not that are fluid um which does not happen and we you still have the stereotype of the killer trans person but this one is kind of asking questions about it um and it's kind of incredible but you're looking at it now and you're like going oh that may have not been handled in the right way because we know more we know we under maybe understand a little bit more if that makes sense, but I think for 1970s, it is actually kind of progressive, just not progressive in 2021, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, to- totally agree, and it's a movie yeah. I really enjoy. One Jekyll and Hyde movie I want to watch and I haven't yet. Curious if you've seen it, Mary Riley. With Julia Roberts
2: no I haven't um and I want to because it's from the point of view of uh, Jekyll's Maid yeah uh, but I really want to see that movie because that was John Malkovich and I kind of want to see Malkovich as Hyde <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've heard it's a misfire and kind of boring and stiff, but I'm curious because I love that that 90s run of like super expensive but trashy gothic horror, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, yeah. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. and um, And it kind of fits in there, even if I, you know, I've heard it's not as good as a lot of those, but I do need to check it out for sure.
2: Yeah. Oh, and the one I was mentioning before was called Jekyll from 2007. Um, It was actually written by Stephen Moffat, who wrote Sherlock and Doctor Who for a while. He's not a cop, he's a doctor, but he is investigating what Hyde is doing when he's not there. Um, It's really fun. It's sort of set in 2000, it's also set in London 2007. So it's got a much more of a science fiction-y tone to it. But yeah, definitely check that one out as well.
1: Okay, cool. I Um, feel like I could like... If I wanted to like devote a month or two to just watching stuff on the BBC, I could totally get lost in all of it, you know.
2: Uh, that was mainly my twenties. Oh yeah, <laughs> I got lost in in BBC and um, came out of it. I was just like, I gotta stop. I'm gonna start talking with a British accent soon. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I've never like I've never tried to watch Downton Abbey because I know myself and I know I would get hooked on Downton Abbey, and I do not have time for that
2: no it's it's very you (laughs) because i've only seen i've only seen the first season which is me in most tv shows um i'll watch the first season and then i just will just stop um i just don't yeah i just don't necessarily if it's the attention span i'm just like i just don't have time for seven seasons or something but because it's they realize that they have dan stevens and it's dan stevens um there's a lot of blue eyed dan stevens in that that show so you're just looking at him going oh hello
1: Cannot blame you there. That is a sexy man.
2: That is a very, very beautiful man.
1: <laughs> okay, last one I wanted to ask you about, and I haven't seen it, but I feel like we should at least mention it. And I'm curious if you have. Have you seen the uh the silent version with John Barrymore?
2: No, I have not. Um yeah, I haven't there either. are still quite a few silent movies I have not seen. Um, and I'd be curious to see it just because um, one, I think John Barrymore would be a great Jekyll and Hyde. Um, but and two, I need to watch more silent movies, so yes.
1: They actually wanted to cast John Barrymore in the 1931 version, uh, but for whatever reason, he couldn't do it. And they casted Frederick March because they thought he looked like John Barrymore. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the reasons to cast this man.
2: uh, Yeah, and I don't necessarily think John Barrymore was ever as attractive as as Frederick March, but uh, yeah, I'm glad they did. I'm glad they chose a really stupid reason. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's great. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it reminds me of how they wanted to cast uh, Lon Chaney Sr. as Dracula. I'm also glad that fell through.
2: Oh, my God. I'm so glad that fell through. Because, uh, yeah, uh, Dracula needs um, uh, Bella Lugosi.
1: <laughs> I, I wonder what the stereotypical ver- vision of Dracula would look like if Bella Lugosi wasn't cast. Because in the entirety of the stereotypical vision in pop culture of what Dracula is, is all Bella Lugosi. It's nobody else.
2: It would be kind of... Would it be, vampires would always be a thing, but would have they been the thing that they are now if it wasn't for Bela Lugosi? Because he was such a force of nature in that movie um, that we took, oh, this is what a vampire is. Um, would Yeah, you're right. Would they be as prominent in pop culture? And would they just be this kind of, or if you did get them, it'd be this kind of weird creature kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it's kind of fascinating where pop culture would be if, if Bela wasn't Dracula.
1: Yeah, it would be very different. Like, I don't know that Dracula would be as famous a name if it wasn't I don't for see
2: I don't think it would as well. I think it would have been, I don't think it would have been as big a, oh, might have, no, I don't think it would have been as a surprise hit. I think it would have made money because it was Lon Chaney, but I don't think it would have been the, holy shit, who's, what is this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Cause I've always said what I love about Lugosi's Dracula is he doesn't seem like a human being. He seems like <laughs> something else. Like he's very handsome, but like, yes. he doesn't seem like a, he doesn't seem like a person.
2: <laughs> no. And Lon Chaney was all about the makeup. So it would have been, maybe they would have gone more well, the Max Shrek route. I don't know. And, um, but yeah, it's, it'd be, be strange because it would have been, yeah, I know that's a guy in a makeup, I know that's a guy. When you actually looking at Bella, you're like, "Are you an actual vampire who just came up from Transylvania?" From yeah,
1: he's his own special different effect.
2: universe. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's his own special effect in that. Um, and I don't think Dracula would mean the same if it wasn't for that particular performance. If they'd hired someone else, I don't know if the Universal Monsters would have ever been a thing.
1: Yeah, but we're we're getting lost in the weeds of Dracula right now. Um, <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so much for talking about Jekyll and Hyde with me. I knew you would be the best person for this discussion, so I appreciate you being here.
2: Oh, no, thank you for having me on. Um, anytime I get to talk pre-code, I get very excited. So this was absolutely great. Thank you so much.
1: Yes, absolutely. And like I said, everybody, make sure you're following uh, Schlock and Awe. Make sure you're following that Evil Dead series and all of her bonus episodes. Uh, but for more information about that, I will turn to you, Lindsay. Where can people follow you online?
2: Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram for SchlockenOr, uh, I am just on SchlockenOr1 or at SchlockenOr1, I should say. Um, I, if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Reddit Geek on Twitter um, and also on uh, the Letterbox which I sometimes go. So yeah, that's where you can get up to date on what is happening on SchlockenOr for October, which um, I'm really excited for
1: awesome. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cobwebs Podcast. Please make sure and leave us a rate and review in the iTunes Store or whatever podcast app you're listening in. We would definitely appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cobwebs Pod. Follow me personally on Twitter at EplerDaniel. Send us an email and let us know what you think about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde at Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we will be back on Friday for our second Fly Friday where Chris and I are talking about the return of the fly and, uh, and we'll have a new episode coming on Tuesday as well so thank you everybody so much we'll be back next time with something to give you the spooks so we'll see you then
0: Tender Mood, tune in next Tuesday. Until then, good night.